Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots Podcast. Big interview. Hashtag stay strong. Brought to you by the Down to Play app. Grassroots football is finally back and we're buzzing. Get Down to Play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. So, welcome to the last of our big interview, hashtag Stay Strong, uh, series of podcasts recording during, hopefully, this last uh, lockdown. Um, tonight is probably the most important uh, podcast that we're going to do. Uh, it's about mental health. I'm honoured to welcome uh, four people with me tonight who are going to share their story in as much or as little detail as they feel comfortable doing so. Um, some of us that, some of us here have lost loved ones. Uh, some of us have suffered uh, with mental health issues. Um, so it could it could get a bit deep, but I think allow us all um, some time to tell our story and, uh, and we'll go from there. Uh, people that listen to the podcast will know it's been going for about two years now. Um, I started this podcast on the back of a period of extended um, mental health uh, problems. Um, I was diagnosed with PTSD about three, three years ago, following the death of my uh, younger brother, uh, David. He died 16 years ago, almost to the day. Um, he was attacked by four people, uh, unprovoked attack and um, stabbed and, and killed. Um, and since then, uh, the mental health journey has begun for me. Um, I tried to drink it away and I tried to, to snort it away and I tried to, uh, I tried to chase girls all the time to try and make it better and sadly uh, nothing did. So it ended up with me uh, coming to a, a massive head of um, depression and anxiety and all that stuff. So the Self Podcast was was created on the back of that for me to have something to channel all of that negative energy or all of that energy into something good. Uh, and so I thank every single listener of the Silk Grassroots Podcast Network um, because without you telling me I'm doing a brilliant job and enjoying all the shows we put out, um, I'm not 100% sure where I'd be, um, but I'm here tonight and I'm talking to four other people who have a story um, as well. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you doing? Good evening. Nice to have you all here. Uh, obviously, we've got Jamie Leggett, uh, Mr. Mr. Mental Health uh, podcast, it seems. The man took on um, a massive job at the beginning of lockdown one, I believe. Uh, and Jamie did lots of Insta Lives and, and now he's gone fully blown co- podcast with his own um, mental health um, show, which is fantastic. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Uh, we've got Rob Curtis uh, joining us. We've got Nick Wheeler and we have Dean Kalinka, um, all people involved uh, in the grassroots footballing world. Um, but I don't think we're going to be talking about football very much. Uh, lads, can I, just in, can I just ask you to introduce yourselves? We'll start with you, Dean. Yeah, so I'm Dean. Uh, I play currently for Highfield in the West Star, uh, 35. And yeah, I'm looking forward to telling my story to the guys. Uh, Nick? Yeah, hi, uh, Nick Wheeler. I'm a level five grassroots football referee 
53, based down in sunny Kent, and uh, yeah, got some stories to share. Rob. Yes, mate. Um, so I'm Rob Curtis. I'm uh, currently playing here from Belvedere, um, and I've been there. I've been there a while now, a couple of years. Um, I've yeah, I've got a couple of stories to tell. Uh, some more recent, and some say over the last ten years. So, yeah, it's um, no looking forward to it, actually. Looking forward to sharing it with nice. you and the guys. Nice Thank you for having me on. Oh, mate, you're welcome. More than welcome, Jamie. Yeah, my name is Jamie Leggett. Um, thanks for your kind words, obviously, Andrew. Um, I try to help, obviously, with my lives. Um, I'm going to share a little story, obviously, of, of why I actually got involved in, in mental health um, and, and the lives and everything like that. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing um, some more stories from Rob um, and experiences who has been on my lives, obviously from yourself, Andrew, mm -hmm. as well. Um, Nick's uh, due to come on uh, in, in a few weeks. And obviously I've known Dean for a long, long time as well. Um, so it's good to catch up with Dean and, and hear his story as well. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. Uh, just uh, uh, Nick Pitt there that, um, oh, Nick, sorry, Nick Wheeler, but we have Nick Pitt as part of um, the Selk 11, which is our charity uh, looking out for the children of a grassroots player called uh, Mike Strong, who took his own life over a year, just over a year ago now. Uh, and we raised money for his two uh, daughters, uh, two young daughters, hopefully, uh, they won't have a they won't have a, um, a happy um, adult ad, as happy an adulthood as they could have done with their dad, um, but we're trying to raise money to give them some kind of financial uh, support when they reach adulthood. Um, my this this we took that on because Nick Pitt was uh, Mike's friend, and uh, he asked me to referee a charity game for him at Bromley uh, FC. A real good game, probably one of the best games I've ever refereed, not in terms of the quality, but the event. Uh, the event was absolutely superb. He raised six, seven grand, I think, on the night with auctions. And uh, there was a crowd of hundreds there before we remember when we could have crowds, boys. Um, <laughs> uh, so they had massive amounts of people there. Um, and it took me... Um, it emotionally took me and um, I said to Nick, we've got to do something via the podcast. Uh, and now we've got a group of um, grassroots players and actually your your gaffers, or not your gaffer, but the, the top man at the top, Paul Spring, it plays for us. Uh, Rob, he can still yeah. do a bit. I'm surprised, he, I can, I'm, I'm surprised he, he's not pulling a kit on uh, somewhere. He's I think just, he's been close a couple of times. He's, he's been edging towards it, but I think... I think Dell's kept him kept him pinned back in the kitchen or something. <laughs> Someone's got to make the sausage rolls for after the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good sausage roll. I'll give him that. <laughs> <laughs> he, I tell you, he he's still Rolls Royce now. And I, I mean the the level of opposition that I, that I've seen him play against is you know it is what it is. But I tell you what, he's he's got such an engine on him still, fit as a mm. fiddle. Oh, he's fit as um, a fiddle. He still beats us in the five k's like. He's um he lets us know about his five Ks, you know. But he's uh no, he's all right, Paul. He's a good bloke. Yeah, he's been very, very good to me over recently. Yeah, very kind. So, so I tell you what, Rob. Let's start with you then, uh, with your story. 
um, as much or as little detail as you're willing to share with, with listeners, yeah. um, off you go, mate. Right, cheers, mate. And I'm, I'm quite big on talking about things anyway, in general. Um, I'm quite comfortable talking about it. it. Some things are quite deep. I know Jamie's, I've spoke with Jamie on his one about things that have happened in the past. So it might be quite deep at times, lads. So I apologise if it is a bit. Um, but I, I am a believer apologize. in... Never apologise. I am a believer in, you know, talking about things properly and being as open and honest as you can about them because um, it does help. Um, so my experiences with mental health started when I was probably a teenager, normal things, me mum and dad split up, that affects people differently depending on your relationship with them. Um, so I was a bit up and down at 15, 16, like any kid would be with that. Um, but I accepted that, uh, as I got older, I learned to deal with that a bit more. Um, then when I was about 20, uh, something happened and it ended up giving me PTSD um, quite badly, actually. It was um, a burglar. We got me and my, I lived with my dad uh, after him, um, him and my mum split up when I was younger. And um, my older brothers, I've got three older brothers. They'd moved out by then. And it, so it's just me and my dad. And um, one night we got burgled at a uh, knife point. And, um, yeah, that was quite hard. It, you know, it's again. Jamie knows this story, but when when someone's in your home, when you've got two people standing over you in your home, and one of them's got a knife to your throat, and he's telling he's telling you that they're going to slit your throat or they're going to slit your dad's throat, you know, you believe them. You know, and it, it's quite deep. And it wasn't just that, you know, they give us a kick in and stuff. It was a weird one, actually. It was a, it was just a strange one. New. And then I'm trying to word it in the right way. It's, so basically, yeah, it was quite, it was quite graphic, basically. And I basically, I'd prepared myself that night while it was going on. In my head, I, I told myself, like, I genuinely didn't think I was going to make it through that night. And um, it's it's very strange because when when you accept when you when you come when something happens to you and you accept actually I came to accept that I was going to die that night yeah and that was really strange because when I look back when in my head I said to I, I said to myself this like, these people actually this, this ain't going to end like end very well no matter what I do whether we're calm whether we're not. Mm. Um, Luckily, I stayed calm. We both did. And, you know, you just try, try and cooperate. It's a bit weird. It's actually like a film. <laughs> like you see in a film, you kind of go, shut up and just do what they say and hopefully you get through it. Mm. Um, but even though that was the case, I, I believed I wasn't going to get through it because um, they were so serious. So I kind of, and when you accept you're going to die, it was so strange. You, you actually, your body goes really relaxed. You really, you actually relax. And although I wasn't obviously having, I wasn't experiencing death itself, um, like my mind had prepared for it. So that messed me up mentally for quite a while. I didn't sleep for three or four years properly. I'd hear a, any little noise. It, it could have been halfway down the road and I'd have heard it and yeah. I'd be waking up. Yeah. So that messed me up mentally. Uh, and then I was 
that in turn you go two or one or two ways with something like that with and it's you either learn to appreciate life and go, you know what I'm glad I got through that and then you know you you kind of you're just a much better person for it because you appreciate every single thing because you you know you didn't expect to get past that moment or you go the other way and you're really angry and you're really you know and you're looking for someone else to blame for everything and you're always and I went that way yeah and it, you, I found I was although I'd never I, I always I'd never try and I'd never be, try and be a problem or cause a problem but I couldn't turn away from problems either yeah I would always react badly to things and that actually carried on into me football as well you know and Jamie knows this I you know I ended up getting a bit of reputation for red cards and silly things and when I look back it was because of what was going on off the pitch mm. and the effect things off the pitch had on me was actually I know a lot of people with chat it's the opposite football they cross that line and they forget about all of that but for me it carried on yeah and um you know and I just couldn't turn away from whether it was, you know, a problem basically, or some someone else causing a problem, or if someone was, even in in the street, right, basically, if someone was picking on someone else, or I felt there was an injustice, I couldn't shy away from that. I'd have yeah. to always go and intervene, or I'd have to step in, and you know, because I did, I didn't, I don't like, I don't never like bullies anyway, but I, I just, I don't like injustice, you know. Um, so that messed me up for quite a while, and you know. And it got to a point where the the trauma from that and the PTSD from that, I was, I was, I'd say I would, it was mild depression. I'd never went into a deep, deep depressive state, um, which I'm surprised by. But I, I was in and out of, you know, what I class as a mild depression, which my therapist and counselor did as well. Um, so I was never entirely suicidal, but I was just up and down so badly, you know, and it affected it affect friendships, it affected relationships, all this stuff. Um, so, and I went and, I went and got, uh, after a couple of chats with people close to me and people around me and family and that, it, I went and see someone and it was the best thing I've ever done. Um, that's, I mean, that's great advice. You've obviously, yeah. you've obviously spoken to people, they've given you some advice and you've gone and got help. Mm. I mean, that's, yeah, because people said does. to me, look, especially my dad as well, he went to me, I'm really close with my dad, he went, like, you're not you, Rob. And I knew, I, and that's the other thing, I, I knew I, I wasn't myself. Yeah. And I couldn't seem to do anything about it. And then it was slow, the downs were getting worse. You know, when I would be a bit depressed one week or up and down, it was getting worse and worse as time went on. Yeah. Um. So it was a point, of, really, it was a point of, go and try and get it sorted first by talking to someone or just continue on a downward spiral and end up in trouble in one way or another. Yeah. Um, so I did that. And it, it luckily enough, um, when you have cancer therapy, I'm sure some of you guys know, obviously you have to also click with the person you're having the therapy with. It's not, it's not just because you, you could go to a therapist or a counselor and, you just come away thinking, nah, it doesn't feel right. And, had, and they I might tell counseling. you that as well. I had yeah. counselling when my brother died. And the first thing when someone said to me was that, you know, your brother, she said to me, you know, your brother was a good person. And I said, I thought, I was like, well, for, this is this is the mentality at the time. 
I said, well, how do you know? <laughs> so I switched off straight away because she told me something, she told me something about my brother that I was like, well, you don't know what type of person, I mean, he was a nice person, but I was, and that switched me off counselling straight away. Yeah, because you instantly knew that they were just, they were just trying to be nice. Yeah. Whereas I'm actually a believer as well, is you, when you go to counselling or therapy, you don't, what you don't need sympathy in my eyes. You need you need empathy, so someone to understand you, someone yeah. that gets you. Yeah. But someone that you know that you can be honest with, not just about what's going on, what's happening to you, mm. but how you are as a person as well. You know, because you need to understand yourself in order to develop as a person. You know, yeah. you need to get to know yourself as just much better. You need to get you know yourself inside out because we lose ourselves in society in our days. We all lose ourselves. And because society kind of ingrains into you, you've got to be a certain way and you've got to, you know, you've got to fit in or that's just the way it is. So we kind of, when we grow up, we kind of, in a way, you kind of got to try and find your, your the chart, the inner, inner kid in yourself again, you know, I think who you were as a, who you are as a person naturally when you're a kid, because yeah. that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, and I had therapy and it worked wonders, actually. She was brilliant. I went private. I didn't go through the NHS. I just thought it was £40 an hour once a week. I thought, you know what I mean? I, I spent 40 quid at McDonald's on myself for a week. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, I'm prepared to pay £40 a week for, for you know, private counselling. I can't, I can't, and I couldn't knock it. It was fantastic. And... Um, Yes, it's the one thing I say to people. I know everyone says, I'll go and see someone, but you actually, I genuinely think it's the best thing you can do because you need an outer perspective. Mm -hmm. You can talk to people in your family or close to you, but it's always going to be a certain type of conversation. And if we're being honest, there's things that you, you might, if you have girlfriends or wives or, you know, you've got your, your, your dads, your sisters, your brothers, close people, there's a lot of things that they'll never know about you as a person as well. Because, you know, you don't tell them everything. Whereas when you go to a therapist or a counsellor, you can, you can tell them everything. And, you know, and they can help you come to, come to terms with all of them things and why you acted in the way you did, you know. And it's amazing. So you can be open and honest with them without worrying. And I just think that's the best thing you can do. Um, and then, so I had, I had that issue, you know, I was up and down and then I had the PTSD, um, which I still get sometimes. Um, you know, if someone looks at me the wrong way, I'd be like, why are you looking at me like that, mate? Like, do you know what I mean? And then I think, oh, well, yeah, you know what I mean? It's something silly. But, um, and then, uh, so yeah, uh, recently, sorry, I'm stuttering a bit. Mate. I'm thinking, I'm trying to get the words right before I say it. Sorry. You're okay. Um, then recently, so in January, I um, had a phone call off my dad. I just left for work one evening in the cab. And uh, my dad rang me and he was hysterical down the phone. I said, Dad, but calm down. What's wrong? Like, what's wrong? And he went, uh, Graham's dead. My brother is my, so he's the second oldest out of the four of us. Mm. And, um, Graham suffered with bipolar disorder. Yeah. Um, he was diagnosed over the last three years, I'd say. He was, um, and he was a stare. And he said, he said, you need to speak to your mum. You need to speak to your mum. So for the first time ever, him and my mum have spoke since they split up, basically. And yeah. it, it was a phone call, basically, to say, 
you know, Graham's dead. Um, so I, started, I went, I went straight around. I sacked off. Went straight around to my mum's. Uh, my brother came down. We all live quite far apart, so you know, it, it it's it's quite difficult. Graham lived in Bristol because um, that's where his um, where he's where he'd been diagnosed bipolar. He got um, where you get you get assisted care, so you get yeah. you know you get your your own you get your own flat off the, off the council off the government basically. You get your own flat in a in in the same block as people with bipolar and yeah. stuff like that. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's assisted care, so there's mm-hmm. there, you, then there's no one there all the time, but there's people on hands twenty four seven if anything's needed, yeah. and they check up on people each day just to make sure everything's all right. Mm-hmm. Rob has frozen there, so I tell you what we'll do. I'm 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 sad that we that's happened, but uh, Nick, can we move on to yeah, the last? Can we move on to you? Just finished the kid. Huh? Sorry, Rob. You just cut out. You cut out there, mate. So, um, there you, just, you, you, just cut, you just cut out there, mate. I think you froze on your internet. I know we were in a, we're a oh, really sorry. crucial part. Um, yeah. Sorry, mate. We'll finish yeah. your story and we'll move back to Nick. Sorry, technical glitch there, guys. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so Graham was really intelligent. He he'd not long finished a PhD in English uh, medieval literature. Um, he went to nor uh, in a city London school in Downham, where, where we all went, like bonus past at secondary school, mm-hmm. you know, grew up, uh, he was born in Ireland, so I come from, come from an Irish family. Uh, so, you know, he's your typical working lower class kind of underdog story. He, mm-hmm. he came, he won a scholarship at Oxford University um, to do his master's in medieval literature, and he'd done a PhD at Exeter, and while he was doing that, he was um, lecturing. And in his first year lecturing, he got voted uh, lecturer of the year by the students. Like, he was just phenomenal. Fucking hell. Um, and everything was great. And then he finished the PhD, and he just kind of seemed to spiral down. And Graham never touched drugs. He barely even drank, to be honest. Um so it was really strange. It was really shocking. And, but he was all right. And then it slowly got worse and worse. And then we were getting really strange phone calls off him. Like he was kind of well, he was hallucinating and stuff, you know. Mm. He, was, he, was, he was bipolar, obviously, we didn't know. And he, um, he kind of, yeah, he just wasn't himself. And we kind of said, like, you need to get help, blah, blah. And... Um, he ended up doing it, he went to the doctors. He was on medication for anxiety and depression, your normal stuff with GPs. That's what they were going for. They go through that all first. And that wasn't really helping. No. And then then he really spiraled because what he thought would help in terms of the NHS help and the GPs and being on his antidepressants and some anxiety pills, that wasn't helping. And then he really spiraled because he couldn't understand what was going on. Mm. Um, so anyway, they'd done more tests and that he'd see therapists, psychiatrists, and you know, they diagnosed him bipolar basically. Um and then the last year he'd been well, I say year, from last summer up until January, he'd been almost like he was himself at 15. Mm-hmm. So he was just like I don't like saying normal self because there's I don't there's no real there, no one's normal, you know. Yeah. 
we're all we're all everyone's different at the end of the day. Yeah. There's no one's normal. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but he was his his old self. He was the Graham we knew, and um, he because he'd finally he got he had a psychiatrist which was he loved. She was brilliant. Um, he was on the right medication for bipolar. There's different medications for bipolar. And what they do is they alter their medications depending on the state of the person. Mm-hmm. So they change all the time. Um, but And then you finally kind of seem to find one that works for you the most and it keeps you in a stable and balanced condition. Mm-hmm. So he'd finally found that and he was happy. Um, we saw him at Christmas. Uh, it was the last time I saw him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was just happy. Like... He was himself. And, um, you don't have to talk, mate, if you don't want to. No, I want to talk because this is the first time I've spoken publicly about him. Um, yeah, and the last time I spoke to him in person, he was, uh, he'd never touched the gym in his life. He was always in shape quite naturally anyway. And he was slim and he was very good looking and he'd never really needed to exercise, but he was in such a good place. He, he said to me, Rob, like, I'm joining a gym this month. This was at New Year. And I said, oh, brilliant. He was like, can you give me some tips and pointers or some like training plans? I was like, yeah, definitely. Like, of course. So um, he said, so once the gyms are all open, I'm joining. I was like, brilliant. And then we got the phone call. Um, it wasn't. It has, isn't suicide. Um, so we don't quite know what's going on. We've got an idea, um, but the coroner's report. They done toxicology reports to make sure there wasn't drugs or anything, and that came back inconclusive. So you know he was on all different types of medication. Yeah. So they they had to try and rule out that he hadn't took an overdose or something. Mm. So that came back inconclusive, which says there was no clear. You know. He had his medication in his system, but there was no sign, clear sign that it was an overdose. So that's in, so they're doing the coroner's still doing they're doing more reports. They've took samples of him and all that, but then they released the body, so we're able to bury him and stuff. Um, and it was just it was so out of the blue. He's thirty five, and I just thought, and he was finally himself again. It was almost like. Graham had always struggled because he'd always faced adversity. He was very vulnerable, Graham. He was he wasn't like the the other three of us. We're we're like your, your typical, you know, blokes like we play football, we do boxing, or you know. So the other three of us brothers were your, your normal day to day fellas. And um, but he was an academic. He was you know he was very very slim frame, and he was very just very vulnerable and. He was bullied quite a lot at school because he was so intelligent and he's a soft person. Um, so he always suffered with bullying wherever he seemed to go. Um, but he'd always overcome it. Mm. And he, he, I used to have some, like, I was closest to him out of all of us. And I'd, we, uh, we'd have hour, two hour long chats about politics. But he, he'd never played football, he was interested in boxing or football, but he'd always ask me how it was going. Um, and he took an interest in me. And when I was at my lowest a few years ago, before I got therapy, he said to me, like, he put his arm around me. And he said, this is why he was starting to be in a bad way himself with his bipolar. He said, 
Rob, you, you don't realise like how intelligent you are because of the way society is these days. It will have you thinking you, you have to be a certain way. You said, but you're stronger than you know and you're more intelligent than you know. Mm. And um, whatever you put your hands to, you're going to be successful. And he was one of the only people that believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. So, sorry. All right, mate, never say sorry. Never say sorry. Do you want to take a break for a minute, mate? No, I'm good. I'm nearly at the end now. <laughs> I'm nearly there. Um, and, yeah, so he was a phenomenal person because he was one of them people, no matter what he was going through, he made time for everyone else. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it seemed, unfortunately, it seems to be a cliche, you know, the good seem to die young. Mm. And he was one of them people, because he'd, he, and he didn't realise how strong he was. So he had, where he's bipolar, and he was so intelligent, he'd always write his notes, every day he'd write notes on his whole day, um, and what was going on in his head, it's, it's crazy. So when I look at what was happening in his head, and then I look back at me when I struggled, I look back and I now, I take strength from it, because I go now, I go, you know what? What I suffered from with is nothing compared to what he was. So that what I'm big on at the minute and speaking to people about it, educating people on is there's a real difference between mental health and mental illness. They're two different things. Yeah. Yeah. We all suffer with mental health. It's like any injury, like we know that's that's another cliche, you know. We all get down sometimes, we all have things happen to us. And they, they do affect us all in different ways. So just because something doesn't affect you as much, it won't, it, it will affect other people worse. We understand that. So, yeah. But, you know, you will eventually bounce back from it. Mm. When you've got mental illness, that feeling with the, the, what I've noticed from reading his notes and what he, he, he had written down with regards to his illness was, you know, every single day is one real, real uphill struggle. And it, it's kind of their brain is it's just a bun uh, it's just a muddle of you know overthinking and thoughts and what they want to do is they're trying to make sense of everything so that they can make sense of themselves mm. they can't make sense of their illness so they're trying to make sense of society and the world mm. these people and then what we do is we walk down the street and we look at that person and go oh he's bloody crazy well you know we know he's ill He's ill, and it's not necessarily because he's a drug addict. No. He's not. He, he he might not even touch drugs, but he you know he's got he's got he's got bipolar, or he's got schizophrenia, or with bipolar you find all of that's tied into one. They suffer with schizophrenia. They suffer with severe paranoia. Um, so there's a big difference, and I'm a, I take strength from that, and I, I like other people to in the sense that we can always overcome things because we suffer with our mental health. We're not mentally ill. A lot of us. Um, so I know now, no matter what goes on, I'm going to be able to be all right. You know, some people aren't, and that upsets me because I've seen it happen with my brother. And so now I, you know, I'm I always checking on people. I make sure people are all right, and I, I just try and he pass on things he, the way he was with me because he seen me struggling before I knew I was, yeah. and he was able to help me. Um, so I try and do that with others now. Um, and then, yes, and... Oh, what was I going to say? 
sorry. And then, I, so I try to do that with others now. And then, so go, going forward, I kind of, you know, I check in on people. I try and give people advice. Uh, I, um, I just, I just try and be there for people if, if I can be, you know, with any assistance. Because no one, it's a quote, but one act of kindness can literally change someone's life, and it actually, it really can. Yeah. Um, so if you can do something like I can't go past a homeless person now without giving them a couple of quid because, and people go to me, ah, oh, but they might, they, they might be conning people, might not be really homeless. They go, yeah, but that's their issue, not mine. Fact of the matter is, if he is homeless, he might, you know, there's no guarantee he's going to go and spend the money I give him on drugs or alcohol. You know, that couple of quid I give him, maybe that couple of quid he needs for a bed that night. And how good is that? If, you know, eight out of 10 of people that are homeless, yeah, maybe they will go and spend it on drink or, or alcohol or alcohol or drugs because it will come for them. But if it's someone that they're able to get a bed for the night because of that extra couple of quid you gave them, how amazing is that? Do you know what I mean? How amazing is that? That could change their life. They might then end up meeting someone that can change their life. And it's a knock-on effect. Every act of kindness you do and good can have a knock-on effect. Yeah, um, so going forward now, obviously I'm a black cab driver. Um, something I've been working towards for years, well, say years, over the last couple of years, um, obviously... I so you've got loads of cost. money then to give to homeless people? Well, after this year, London <laughs> game's dead, mate. <laughs> um, Back. Over the last couple of years, obviously, everyone seems like they know I'm into me boxing and stuff. Um, so I've been working towards doing some coaching in boxing and stuff like that, you know. Um, so I've started doing that, and I've found that by doing that, I can I can help others mentally, not just physically, but mentally, because mm. I can build relationships with others. And you find when people are coming to you for whether it's a training session or not, they're coming to you because they they want help with something. Mm. And usually, you find it's deeper than just wanting to be able to throw a punch. You find it, you know, there's something in them that they're trying to get out or work on. Yeah, and I've I've found I'm able to I'll by by doing something like that on the side of my taxi as well, I can I can do some good for other people and um, hopefully change some other people's lives if I'm honest. But um, yeah, so well, you sound up. You're an absolute class act, mate. And I tell you what, what a brave what a brave story. And and thank you for sharing that with us. That was thanks. Sorry for getting emotional. Oh, um, mate, that, that, no, this is God. actually my first time, lads, talking about what happened recently um, publicly to people you know, in public. So thank you for listening and bearing with me on that. I appreciate well, it. I don't know anyone tonight. Please don't apologise for getting emotional. I was getting emotional while you were saying it, mate, because I think... It's not the beer, it's only my first one. <laughs> it, resonate, it resonates with everybody and we all go back. We all go back to that moment when we found out that we lost someone or, or that, those those depths of, um, of of depression or whatever that we suffer with everyone in a, in a moment you can just go back to that moment in a second and mm. you know I'm sorry for your loss and um, but you're brave and I'm glad that you're using that your experiences to channel to help mm. other people and that's a fantastic thing to do mate so well thanks, done Andrew, thank you thanks uh, guys for listening thank you no problem mate uh, Nick over to you mate Okay, um, Rob, I'll take yours and, and trumpet because actually this is the first time 
I've ever spoken about Alex publicly. Um, I've messaged people close to me. I've had face-to-faces with close friends who know me, but nothing on this scale. Um, Alex, my eldest son, was uh, an enthusiastic rather than talented footballer in his youth. Uh, And I mention that because hopefully the story will come full circle to the end. Um, He was not academic. He was uh, musical. He uh, taught himself how to play the guitar. Uh, He sung. He took popular songs, put his own twist on it. And that's what he wanted to do. He uh, decided that he was going to take himself off to Merton um, to learn how to make guitars. That was what he wanted to do when he left school. So he left a small town in Kent uh, to head over to Kingston, found himself some accommodation. Um, and I said to him, I said, well, you know, this, this course was two days a week, out, you know, out of a Monday to Friday, and you're going to live there for seven days a week. What are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to get myself a job. I said, okay, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to walk up and down the streets handing out CVs. And I left him three or four days, rang him, how's it going? Not very well, Dad. I've handed out loads of CVs. There's no jobs. I said, OK, well, look, do you, want to, do you want me to see if I can do anything? And he was like, well, what can you do? You live in Kent. I'm in southwest, you know, southwest London. Yeah. I said, well, you never know. Um, two days later, he rang me in a bit of a excitement and panic to say, Dad, I've just had a phone call from the, the pub manager at the Weatherspoons in Kingston giving me my induction day and my first week's shifts, he said, but I didn't even hand a CV into him. I said, no, son, I know you didn't. He didn't know I knew the area manager and the area manager had pulled a few strings for me and I knew he wouldn't let me, I knew my son wouldn't let me down. Um, So he was set up, he was quite happy. I'd go and meet him for breakfast, we'd chat. He'd tell me he was working every Friday and every Saturday night and I'd say to him, why, don't you want some time off with your mates? And he turned to me and he'd go, Dad, he said, the Weatherspoons in Kingston is right opposite the biggest nightclub in Kingston-upon-Thames. It was absolutely rammed with girls every Friday and every Saturday night. And he was living the life of Riley. Um, The course finished after three years. Strangely enough, there isn't that much call for you know, guitar makers in the UK or a big market for it. But he was independent. He was now a 20-year-old man. Uh, He'd lived away from home for the best part of three years. Uh, He didn't want to come home. He got himself a job uh, in a call centre in the meantime. Unfortunately, his um, his one area of remiss, shall we say, was his inability to get up and get to work at nine o'clock in the morning, most mornings. Um, And I'm understood that he unfortunately found himself late three or four times during his probation um, and they let him go. Hmm. Now, this has only all come to light since. Um, On the 17th of November, 2016, I got a phone call from my eldest daughter to say, Alex has been found. He's tried to take his own life. He's in Kingston Hospital. Um, 
I'd just come out of a sales meeting uh, in Maidstone. You drop everything. I rang my my current wife um, in a state of shock and panic. We we had our own children. It, you know, um, she's like, don't worry. Look, well, I'll meet you here. I'll meet you there. We'll drop the kids off. We'll do this. We'll do that. Three hours later, we're in Kingston Hospital. Mm. Um, he had hung himself. Now, he was 21 or not quite 21. Uh, he didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He didn't take any drugs of any description. Uh, he didn't eat fatty food. He was a gym bunny. He would look at you strange if you were eating a piece of cake. Um, he had no obvious history of mental illness. Um, he had missed what we now know. He had missed one month's rent payment on his room. Uh, and he had hung himself on the scaffolding outside of his shared house. Now, the, one of his housemates found him after 10 minutes. Um, and unfortunately, the, the general consensus of opinion with hanging is there's about a two to three minute window. But because he was so fit and because he didn't do this, that and the other, they actually managed to restart his heart, which took us down the route of probably the most harrowing five days of my life uh. in in um, in Kingston Hospital because you go through the first twenty four to forty eight hours are hoping for that miracle, where realistically you know that miracle isn't happening. You know that. The first night I went in to see him and held his hand, you knew he wasn't there. But you have to go through those processes. After you come to terms with the fact that actually, A, he isn't going to get any better. B, if there was any chance of him getting any better, he's going to be you know, unable to feed himself, breathe without assistance, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we then had the discussions over uh, organ donation, um, which I'm pleased to say that we did. Um, however, that then opens up a new set of processes because the, the brain scoring that um, is widely used is, a, I don't know if anyone, but it's a scale of zero to 15. So us on this on this call now would be 15 because we can talk we can breathe unaided we can move we can control up yeah oh. it, zero is brain dead yeah alex scored one okay. now by scoring one uh you don't then have the total control that the hospital have if you score zero and he's brain dead so you then have to get a coroner involved two consultants involved even the police involved to confirm that the family's wishes are this, that, and the other, um, which just extends the process. So I ask you a really sensitive yeah. question, Nick. Yeah. Is the fact that he was one out of 15, does that give you that, does that give you hope that you, he can? No. No. 
Now, to be honest, to be honest, and this is going to now I, I can now say that I would wished he'd have been zero. And the the reason I wished he'd been zero was um, then that the way that the system works is when it comes to the point of organ donation, they can wheel him in, still all connected up, do what they need to do, switch the machines off. You get to say your goodbyes to him first, it's done. Because he scored zero, what they had to do was turn the machines off. Had he then survived for 30 minutes, um, basically all of his organs would have become useless. Uh So uh, out of all of this absolute horror, you could have ended up with not being able to use any of his organs as well, which I personally, to me, would have just been the ultimate... um, bad finish to an yeah. absolutely diabolical situation thankfully and peacefully he passed within five minutes they were able to use um lungs pancreas etc 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 i think they helped off the top of my head they helped four or five other people which is great um the period after that because you're in the middle of it so much the period after that is a bit of a blur but if someone had said to me six and eight, nine months later, how do you think you've, you've done? I'd have said, well, I'm coping. I'm going to work when I'm, you know, every day. I'm dealing with my, my family. I'm communicating with my family. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Do I think about him every day? Absolutely. If someone says to me, what would your overriding single word be of the whole process? It's very simple. Guilt. Okay, it's guilt as a parent. It's guilt. I didn't see any signs. It's the the problem with suicide in my eyes is it whilst the individual is hopefully at peace and they are no longer in pain, it leaves, the pain is transferred to the people left behind. Mm. And there's just questions. There's questions that you are never, ever, ever going to get the answers to that stay with you forever. They just do. What I didn't realise was how bad my own mental health, I think it brought my own mental health issues to the absolute fore. I was... And again, I didn't see this as myself. I was an absolute nightmare to live with. I was horrible to my other children. I didn't see it. I was very, very difficult to live with to my wife, who is the most understanding, compassionate, level-headed person you could ever possibly meet. Mm. But I just didn't see it um, to the point where eventually she said to me that, we need to take you to the doctors. You need you need some help. This is not getting any better. No. I agreed to go with her in my eyes to shut her up, and I and I, and I, and I say that in the nice. I thought right, yeah. yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll I'll do all the things the doctor wants to do. The doctor will say, yeah, you're absolutely fine, and I'll say to you, told you so. And you sit in front of the doctor, and you get the questionnaire, and you score yourself, which I did. And then the doctor looks at it and he says, right, now do you mind if I score it alongside your wife? And I went, be my guest. I'm like, you know, fill your boots. 
You can hope it's going to, all you're going to do is confirm exactly what I know. I'm dealing with it well. And they score it. And he says, and he looks at the two and he says, look, the scores are massively, massively different. You know, and I'm like, he said, look, there is help out there. And I think if I'm honest, up until that point, I, I didn't understand the difference between mental illness and mental health, like, like Rob has already said. And, and it's even today, and we have come along a, such a long way, but even today, there is still that stigma attached to the words mental health, mental illness. And you see it as if you go into the doctor and, you, and you, you, you know, you're going to get antidepressants, you're going to live on tablets for the rest of your life. And this, and you know, you're going to, and I thought, I'm not doing that. And he sat me down and he said, look, first of all, he said, don't think you need tablets at all. But I do think you need to go and talk to someone. And they made this appointment. And, and like Rob said, you know, I can remember going to the first appointment, going up in the lift, thinking, God, what a waste of an hour and a half of my life this is. Yeah. Sitting in front of the woman and finding myself literally pouring everything out to a total stranger. Absolutely, you know, and, and I'm sure everyone, you know, that, that first that first meeting especially, you feel like you cried throughout mm. the whole meeting. I, you know, to me, I just said, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd lost a pint of water out of me. You know, that, that's how I felt. Came out of there and thought, poor cow, I bet she wasn't expecting that. It was my over, and, and then I yeah. thought, and I thought, no, that's exactly what she was expecting. Yeah. That's exactly what she's trained. And I found those, I think, seven or eight sessions face-to-face -face were huge, absolutely huge for me at that time and put me back into a decent place. Off the back of that, um, probably a month or two after I'd finished the course, I got a, a, a friend's lad um, was, was basically diagnosed with a a terrible form of cancer. They were raising money for Macmillan's and were doing a charity football match um, over the course of a day between four or five sides. And they said, look, you know, Nick, will you, I know, will you come along and referee? I said, yeah, of course I will. Can't play. I'm not playing. I'm too old to play. I'll come along and ref. Bumped into an old friend who was running the local league as the referee secretary. And he said, look, why don't you come back to referee on a Sunday morning and I'm like no nah, I don't think so I don't think it's for me I'd had, I'd had 18 years away from being a referee um, and he said well he said come back try a game or two he said look you know we'll, we'll do it on the quiet and just see what you think um, and so I agreed to start the season with him um, he sent me for my first ever game on the line uh, uh, to Stamford Hill Prison, um, which, which was an inmates team, a, a mixture of inmates and and uh, and and, and uh, governor and uh, warders. Um, so you were in was, Mean Machine for your first game um, back. Yeah, which was an experience. <laughs> Just when the, the the rest of the inmates were allowed out to watch the first half, so you get about two hundred down one side of the pitch only. Um, but I, I would say for me, football, 
for want to, to, to be cliched, football is my happy place now. Um, for a number of reasons, I think you can't, you, you have to, as a referee, in my opinion, you have to enter that field of play clearing thought and mind. So you, you have to be very focused on that 90 minutes ahead of you because you can get two teams who are lovely, friendly, pick each other up when they knock each other over. You can also get two teams that really want to... Pick the shit pick, out of each other. You can say the shit that. out of each other. And actually, if you're not in control, it can become a bloodbath. Yeah. Um, but through that, I've, I've put posts about um, people's mental health on our local uh, grassroots page. The first year I did it, I posted about Alex. And I said, look, you know, I'm not looking for, I do not want, please do not message me with any sympathy. This is about, there is, already, there is always someone out there. There is always someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. Alex could have picked 150 people. It did not have to be me, his dad. It didn't have to be his mum. It didn't have to be any, any other members of the family. There were 150 plus people who would have dropped everything at that precise moment to help him. Mm-hmm. He chose not to. And I put this post on Facebook and, and one of the guys contacted me who I knew and he went, I recognise your son. I played football with him from 11 to 14. So I've now, I've now got these, these two, three, four of these guys who I now ref on a Sunday morning quite regularly who they're the same age as Alex. You know, I, I look at them and, and think, yeah, okay, he perhaps wouldn't be playing in their team. He isn't as good as that. But he'd have been turning out on a Sunday morning with his mates to play football. Um, I think that helps my refereeing style, shall we say, in terms of talking to players, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I agree with everything that Rob has said about you do have to have that connection with the counsellor. I went back probably 18 months after my first session. I I self-certificated, for want of a better word, self-referred. And they decided that time to do telephone counselling. And I have to be honest and say, it just isn't, it didn't do it for me. I'm sure it works for certain people. Um, I am currently, I am currently five weeks into a minimum of seven weeks counselling on Zoom calls because I feel that I felt probably three months ago things were not where I wanted them to be. Yeah. Um, you know, my own my own personal issues and what I'm grateful for now that I put, I wouldn't have done four years ago. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind, but what I'm grateful for now is to have the strength to pick up the phone and go, can I have some help please? And, you know, like, like Rob said, I think that there is so much help out there, whether it is NHS, private, friends, family, whatever, whatever, whatever. The difficulty remains that individual has to ask for that help. And that is the hard, you know, that is that is the hardest thing in the world. And I would say that through my experiences, 
you become a little bit more attuned to, shall we say, certain you know comments on social media. Yeah. And if if certain certain people I'm I'm you know uh, following friends with on Facebook post something, some you know you'll get the usual oh what's up or sympathy message. I I tend to look a little bit deeper into that message and have on occasion then private message people and gone is everything all right you know are you um you know do you want to talk to to somebody who's seen it gone through it you know lives it etc and we did have a you know unfortunately we had a scenario only three weeks ago where one of the local lads on the island sadly took his own life um and a lot of the guys knew him on the island. A lot of the guys associated with football teams on the island knew him. And they were struggling because they are mid-20s. It's the first time they've encountered this kind of scenario. Um, and I found that I've been able to talk to two, three or four of them. Once they've got... And, and again, they start the conversation by sort of, well, Nick, I didn't want to bother you. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm the one person who knows what their parents are going through, the questions you've got, not that you're going to get answers for them, mm. but actually, you know, I know what you're going I can't just say, well, yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that, mate, but actually I don't know really what the hell you're talking about. I do know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, it gives me you can get a little bit too involved there's no doubt about it you get a little bit too close sometimes yeah the um, emotional the emotional tie to yeah, people yeah. yeah um you know but it is what it is and through things like this and you know jamie jamie and myself are are involved we're ambassadors for the, the united charities league and and meeting up with people like ty seeing actually just how many great people there are out there yeah. raising money, not just for mental health, but just charities in general, in what's been an absolutely shocking year, yeah. has blown me away. Honestly, yeah. the, the, amount of people, the amount of teams you see on Twitter who are basically, despite everything they might be going through themselves, their own hardships, they're out there looking to raise money for people who are less fortunate. It's quite, it's very, very humbling. Very, very humbling indeed. Agree, mate. Thanks for sharing your story, mate. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm with you and, and Rob at the moment. We'll find out Dean and Jamie's story in a sec. But um, I'm so chuffed that you two tried to channel something into into helping other people. This whole podcast was, was something for me initially, um, but it's ended up helping other people through this lockdown, through the 50 podcasts in 50 days series that we did. I had dozens of messages from people saying, you know, this is keeping me going during the day. This is helping me give something to focus on. Um, How good did that feel, Andrew? It felt amazing. And it it just just means everyone that hates the podcast is going to have to deal with me on social media for another 10 years because every, every brilliant message that you get, thank you. I could get a hundred messages saying, oh, you're shit. Stop doing it. You talk shit. You don't know what you're talking about. But if I get one message that says, do you know what, Andrew? I wake up. I live in a one-bed flat with my missus and my, and my kids. Um, 
I've listened to your podcast every single day for 50 days. It's kept me going. To me, that's enough reason for me to keep doing this podcast. And, and that's why we keep going for, for the people, for all those people that messaged me in the first lockdown. Um, it's, this podcast is now for those, you know, I just concentrate on one, one good, one good um, message. We'll keep this podcast going for years. It's fantastic. And what is, um, I know, I know where you both um, are having lost a family member and God, um, you know, it's, it's tough. Let's get on with, uh, let's get on to uh, Dean. Jamie, I'm going to save you to last, mate, because um, I know you're, you, you've you talked to a lot of people with mental health and, and you've got your own, um, and the, in the mental health sort of awareness uh, stuff. So I'm going to leave you till last. And I'm, I, I know you've been waiting a long time, um, but I'll get you on. That's fine, there. mate. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Dean, do you want to just, do you want to tell us your story? Uh, yeah, um, first I just want to sort of, I don't know the guys personally, but I just want to say how brave they are. Um, and also Andrew, without trying to give you a big head, I've decided to come I on. Can't. I've always got one of those anyway. Because <laughs> of the things you've done and I've been down. <laughs> and um, it sort of kept me going. So I saw when you said you was doing a mental health one, I thought I'd just come and maybe just share my story about my own mental health and what I've been through. Um and just sort of if it can help one person then great or or have you and it needs to help one it only needs to help one person that's the important thing like your your problem you might think you might have listened to rob's story you might have listened to nick's story you might have listened to my story and thought oh fucking hell i'm not saying this is the case but people listening to this might think oh fucking hell like my problem's nothing like these people have like lost someone and, and all I'm here is worrying about worrying about going to the shop because I've been in my house for a year and it's hard for me to go out but everybody's everybody's problem is massive to them right and you can't you can't compare your problems to anyone else so anyone listening to this if you feel like you need help and you're listening to people here and there's and you're you don't think your problem is all that compared to it it's bollocks go and speak to someone and no matter how big or small you think your problem is, if it's struggle, if it's making you struggle and making your life and making you not be able to enjoy your life as much as you should, first and foremost, that's the time to go and speak to people. But don't compare your problems to anyone else. Dean, sorry, mate, I've, I've jumped in there. Spot on, spot on. Um, so I suppose from the age of around 18, like a lot of people, my parents split up. I was still living at home. At the time, this all wasn't saying it come as a shock. So I was prepared for it. Um, but I think it did affect me, but I didn't realise how much it did. Um, I sort of was living my life, enjoying myself as most 18-year-old lads do, uh, sort of living for the weekends, if you like. Yeah. Um, my first full-time job. Then I just found myself, I think through boredom, if anything, I was working for a bank. I was working with a lot of women and I was then tending to just sort of getting sick of that, the women chat at lunchtime in the staff room. So I'd take myself out and obviously I wouldn't be this all guy to go sit in a pub on my own and have a drink so I ended up finding a, a bookies no idea what was going on uh just found myself falling into it if you like as a escape and it would just be for fun really just having a little photo here and there sort of really spending what I could afford to lose I guess and doing it just almost as a little hobby um and I guess it just escalated from there there was a lot of things going on in my life with sort of relationships that sort of moved in my 20s, 
Um, I, I was in a relationship that I wasn't, shouldn't have really stayed in, but, but I did, I think, because I felt like I needed someone there because yep. I was struggling, but I wasn't actually letting them in and I wasn't actually letting anyone know what was going on in my life. Mm. If anyone knew me, they would think I was this happy, jokey guy that, that were just uh, having a laugh, so I'd have a smile on my face and would joke around. Um, I think in my 20s, I realised I had a problem with gambling and it was affecting my mental health and I was depressed from it, um, causing anxiety, worry, obviously all my money troubles. And as a guy, I didn't want to sort of open up to family or, or even friends and tell them. And it was one of them, you'd sort of hide it and every time you'd maybe win, you'd let people know, but you'd hide all the losses. Yeah. Funnily enough, it's probably a story that Jamie won't even know. Obviously, like Jamie said at the start of the podcast, we go back sort of 17, 18 years and we got a mutual friend uh, in Dobbo um, and he used to obviously hang about with him quite a bit. And at one point in my life, in my early 20s, I decided to, well, I open up slightly to my dad. He's not he's someone I'm close to, but I found it hard to talk to on an emotional level. He's very old school um, and opened up to him and he basically was like, I'm taking you to... Uh, Gams Anonymous you're going to GA simple as that I went in there in that room I lasted like half hour I walked out I happened to actually then be with meet Jamie and Dobbo outside we ended up to, in a snooker hall in Woolwich and I would then tend to do that I would tell my dad I was going to Gams Anonymous getting help but I was actually ending up just ignoring it, my problems and letting it just carry on and carry on um, I've got a daughter who's 11 um, from my previous relationship and I've always had a, a close bond with her but without going deep into it, it, it sadly over the last sort of year or two it's something I've had to fight for and go through courts and, and this that and the other so it's, it's, it's been a tough time in my 20s uh, and like my gambling got out of hand to the stage where I was getting credit cards I was it ended up on payday loans I think people know yeah. how ridiculous they are so yeah, I was good with I was good with money. I was obviously awful with money, but I was clever enough to calculate things to keep things going a lot longer than I should have. Yeah. And I was clever enough to find ways to get more money. I never really lent off people. I didn't almost want them to know my secret. And I felt if I lend off friends, then they'd have to know why. So it was always normally going to credit cards, payday loans, and it got bad. Like I was in. Can I ask a you a question, Dean? Yeah. Was it was it the thrill of winning in the end, or was you always well, just trying to chase chase at, money at to start, be able to pay things off? At the start, I would say 100% it was a thrill of winning, uh, winning and the buzz I got from it. But I'd say that wore off quite soon, uh, sort of maybe after a year or two, that wore off. Um, and it tended to be almost like an escapism. Uh, everything else I had going on with my life, uh, I was struggling to cope with and deal with. And I'd always take myself away after work, lunchtime, spend my my times in the bookies and it would be like this escape season. No one could find me in there. No one knew where I was. I wouldn't mm-hmm. get bothered. There was no real phone set. So that was my time and and I, I was just away from all the troubles and forgetting about it for a few hours. Um, so it almost turned into that and also a case of trying to, I guess, chase all this money I lost to, to keep the lies going because that's what I found I was doing. I was lying to people around me mm-hmm. and from all these lies, it was obviously exhausting me. I was not wanting to get out of bed. I was not wanting to do these things. I love like playing football, etc. cetera. Um, and it would affect me, my jobs. It would affect relationships. It would affect everything um, to the stage where 
I suppose eventually, obviously, it got so bad that I was having suicidal thoughts. Yeah. I was thinking, there's, there's no, there's no point in me carrying on because I tried to open up to people and I had opened up to a few people, but never fully. And even then, they seemed disappointed in me. So I think it was a case of me feeling I can't disappoint them again if only they knew actually how bad this was and yeah. how bad I. So I, I almost wanted to try and sort it myself. Almost knowing it wasn't going to be sorted through a big win, or, or, or that wasn't the way out. Um, but yeah, I've got, like I say, as low, not to the stage where I ever done every, anything. But I, I had getting there. Support. Yeah, was getting and, there. and it was, it was, it, it was really bad. And the fast forward, obviously, I'm 35 now. Um, it was about just over three years ago that I finally faced up to it. I probably got to my lowest, lowest point um, to then have to sort of open up fully. Uh, left, sort of basically lost my job because because of it, really, because I was in a really good job and I've been in it for 10 years and somehow kept it going. But I hadn't got to the level they expect me to be at because my mind and myself, I just wasn't there. Yeah. I was always there in company, in people's company, but my thoughts and my head was always thinking about other things. I would never actually... I just felt like I was a shell of who I used to be mm. and, and I, I was sort of sick of being that person. So I decided to go to GA again and this time really sort of embrace it and face up to everyone and everything and not be embarrassed about it. And if people ask me questions, not hide it and not lie. So I opened up to all my family, all my friends, and I wasn't embarrassed anymore. Um, and that was, like I say, just over three years ago now and haven't sort of bet since um i still have my struggles massively still have extreme anxiety um i've changed as a person a lot uh i've noticed obviously i think i've learned to appreciate things that maybe i never really appreciated before i've realized i have issues still i still um sort of have traits that i can get down i can the way i'm feeling i can outlay that to other people and then they're not getting a better version of me yeah um and obviously our, that's my missus mainly and i'll put like she gets the best and the worst of me um but thankfully she's sort of understanding and amazing and i've sort of been on this for from day one of, of our time together and she's been there almost the whole way um since i've sort of tried turning my life around yeah um and yeah so now obviously all i want to do is try and sort of help others in any way possible sort of my story goes a lot deeper but I know obviously with time today, but it's just in general, anyone here that's talking about it, because there is still that stigma and there is still that if some of my friends that I would call close friends, they they probably don't know none of this. And, and I'd call them close friends, you know, yeah. because look at lockdown in the last year, I'll, I'll go on my WhatsApp and I'll have probably six or seven WhatsApp groups and everyone's having banter and you're exchanging videos but there's no, there's probably not a lot of private messages that I'm getting or giving saying, all right, mate, how are you? Or how are you doing? It's all just sort of group stuff, group banter. Yeah. And you don't know, there could be six or seven of us in that group that are all struggling and no one's reaching out. So yes, it's, it's just something that want to just get more and more guys talking about and say, it's not, it's not a problem getting emotional and being scared and, and you know, how you feel. No, I think you're right. And, um, you know, I think it's getting better. It's definitely getting better. I mean, this lockdown, I think people are, we'll get into lockdown in a minute after, after we just speak to Jamie, but 
I think this lockdown, people are putting more effort in. But I think what the important bit is that as we come out of lockdown, that all that that habit that we've that we've all started of texting your mates or texting your your family or or whoever and that you speak to or that you that you text um we've all got into brilliant habits of, of asking them if they're all right it needs to continue after lockdown it can't just be a lockdown thing some people live miles away from their family or or friends that you don't you don't see I, i've got friends that i just that i seem to text from school i don't really see them anymore but we text pretty regularly i've got friends that live in australia and and we meet and but you know it's just I ask them if they're all right once in a while, um, but I think all these all these habits that we've started now, we need to continue it after lockdown. It can't just be a lockdown thing to knock on your next door neighbour's door to see uh, if your if the, if your old lady uh, next door neighbour uh, wants some shopping done. It can't stop. It can't stop after um, lockdown. The same as all the texts we're sending. Definitely something we need to continue. Sorry, Jamie, you've been waiting. An hour and twenty minutes to to talk. So thank you very much. You do enough talking. I bet you you're. We're all usually waiting on him. That's why. <laughs> Behave yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I bet it's nice to give your voice a rest. Um, He's never on, been quiet. He's never yeah. been quiet for an hour and twenty minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jamie, I know um, lots of people uh, may have heard your story. Um, I know we spoke in the summer about on the fifty podcast in fifty days. You were one of our great guests that we had in that um, series. Um, but just tell a, pe- tell a bit um, about yourselves uh, for the people that, that don't know you. Yeah, first of all, obviously, um, three, like, unbelievable people. Well, I'm, I'm actually, obviously, I've known Rob for a few years now. And obviously, like Dean mentioned that I've known Dean for, like, 17, 18 years. So to hear that story is being... Um, it's been eye-opening as well and every story every story opens my eyes up more and more and and that's one of the reasons why I've done that, uh, the lives anything but I'll go on to that in a minute um, but yeah Nick obviously I've started to get to know with the United Charity League and we've been talking a bit uh, uh, and we'll go on to that a, a little bit in as well but first of all, obviously, yeah, introducing myself for the ones that don't really know me, obviously, Jamie Leggett. Um, at daytime, I work as an SEN um, teaching assistant. So I, I haven't really had a break over this because I've been a key worker. So I've been working nonstop um, with that. Um, away from, obviously, my day job, um, I'm England Six Aside Manager. Um, obviously that's on hold at the moment it's been on hold for the last year um, I'll go into that um, in a little bit which is massively massively uh, avoiding my life at the present time um, yeah it, it's probably a good thing that I'm doing this with you Andrew today because this has been one of my roughest days over over the years, okay, over man. the year, um, and I don't know why it just is, and um, yeah, like I was getting emotional, obviously listening to the other people's stories and stuff like that, and especially Dean's because I feel like seventeen years ago I knew nothing about mental health or I knew nothing about mental illness or I knew nothing about gamblers anonymous or anything like that or 
I never knew Dean was going through that. Yeah. And why didn't I know? Because maybe the stereotype or the stigma behind anything to do with that. Uh, and people back then, I always turn and say, was it an old school mentality? Probably an old school mentality that no one wanted to obviously speak out. Yeah, I think I think there's an important thing to say here that every single one of us here will feel some kind of guilt as to why we weren't there for the person that we've lost or why we weren't there, uh, why we weren't able. You know, Dean will feel guilty because he hasn't asked for help or he, he wasn't able to deal with his things. My, I went through a massive phase of when my brother died. You know, I was like, oh, why did I go and spend the night at my girlfriend's house or whatever? Or why didn't I give him a ring that night? To, I could have gone and I could have gone and met him, and then all oh, the whole thing wouldn't have like these mad sort of scenarios that you put in your head that they're not they're not they're not they're not there's no way that they, you, I could have been there with my brother. You know, he was out he was out and he and he was walking uh, someone home and someone turned up in a car and did what they did um, to him. They didn't know him. He he didn't know them. Um, there was no like premeditated thing about it it just happened but all the for, for months and months and months and years I was like what if I could have done this what if I could have done that and you blame yourself so the guilt thing forget it straight away there's nothing that anyone here could have done to change the situation that happened it's, it's a it, otherwise you would have you would have you would have done it and and that's it if you, it's it's you know you, blaming yourself is something um, that we need to get rid of pretty sharpish uh, yeah, it's one of them things that like, I always think about, even more when I speak about, obviously, my lives, and I do do my lives, I think about it more and more afterwards, and I sit there and I think, how many people have struggled and not opened up over the years? Um, and have I educated myself enough on it? Or did I not want to? Or did I not know about it? Or, mm. And I feel like, the answer to that is that I probably didn't educate myself or people didn't educate me at a younger age about it because it was maybe that old school mentality of, oh, man up or just get on with it or, or anything like that. And I feel like it never come to the fore. Like if I, if I go back to it and I'll probably start and I've only recently started opening up more and, it, and it's, weird because I obviously my life is hashtag let us talk that 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 my thing is let's talk about it let's mm. talk open up if you want to open up my platform was there to everyone open up mm. but if I really fit, sit down and think about it have I really opened up enough on what I've gone through probably not and like saying that I'm sitting here now like tearing up I can feel it um, in me, um, Jamie, Jake, can I just do you think? Do you think? It, and you, you obviously with your job as an SEN t- teaching assistant, do you think it's yeah. generational? Because if yeah. I'm honest, two two things that come to mind. Number one, if I was struggling at eighteen or twenty, would I have spoken to my parents about it? No, I wouldn't. Mm. Number two, when I was at child, when I was at school, and you'll appreciate this, you know things like. ADHD didn't exist. Yeah? yeah. They were called disruptive children or naughty yeah, children. Naughty, naughty kids, yeah? Yeah. And and you know, the world thankfully, thankfully, the world has moved on, but it does seem to be a generational thing that I would like to think yeah. my 
my my 18 year old son now could actually and would feel comfortable talking to me or my wife about absolutely anything and knowing knowing that he would get a sympathetic and understanding answer rather than a oh don't be so silly or, or that you know I, I felt if I'd have said to my dad when I was 18 or 20 or dad I'm, I'm really you know he'd have gone pull yourself together don't be silly yeah I think you know that's the message I tried to say a lot um, on it's good that people open up and and say it, but it's finding the right person to talk to. Obviously, I've had Rob on um, and and I've had over 150 guests now over the year. Um, some opening up what I didn't know about, some I did know about, some who I complete and out of strangers didn't know them from Adam like a year ago. Yeah. And they, they've messaged me going, can I come on your live? And I'm like, wow. Like, like obviously they've heard something what they feel can come on and actually start opening up and say mm-hmm. what they feel. And as Dean Turman has said, it's about sharing what we've gone through or the experiences we've gone through. And as Andrew said, right at the start, I'm not a professional. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a advocate or, 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 or anything like that. I'm just, uh, I've gone through something, which I'm going to touch on in a second. Um, and I just pass on the experiences, what I've gone through or my views on it. My views are not wrong. They're not right because everyone has their certain views or their certain opinions on mental illness or mental health or anything they're going through. And I just give my views and hopefully that helps that one person or they give their views and hopefully that helps one person, whoever it touching is. Touching on that, Jay, sorry, mate, sorry to interrupt. Just touching no, sorry, on man. one person because Dean said it as well. It, you're, you're never only going to help that one person because what will happen is that person's going to end up helping someone as well. Because mm-hmm. we, we've all found once we've come through whatever we're going through, we want to help someone else because yeah. we remember that someone helped us. So mm-hmm. just helping one person, you end up helping tens, hundreds, and then it goes on. It's a knock-on effect, you know. Mm-hmm. It's never just that one person. It's multiple people you'll always help by helping one person. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah. You know, you've always helped loads of people and, you you know, you will have already. So, you know, be proud of that. Well done. Yeah, no, thank you, mate, for obviously the kind words. And I, I keep on saying it. And it, I don't feel like sometimes I sit there and I feel like, should I carry this on? I get this hard. And I've said it to Andrew before, like away from obviously like the podcast and that. And I just feel like, oh, shall I, like, it's not about the views. It's not about the subscribers. And I know that I put it out there. I only put that out there because I want people to listen to it. I want people to hear it, not because I want to be famous or a YouTube star or anything like that. I want it people to listen to it and, and put it out there. It's an awareness. I, I want people to hear people's stories or their views because, as you just said, Rob, that one person who's giving that view, hopefully that helps that person and then they can help someone else and then they can help someone else. But yeah, let me go on to obviously why I've done it in the first place. Like, cause obviously we've been going for a while anyway now, but I, it, it's not as in dramatic, but obviously as everyone's saying, everyone has their own stories. Why, why 
um, mental health or mental illness, etc. Mine was basically, I didn't feel like I, I had it, but it opened my eyes up because I think it was like two, three years ago. I lose the dates now because of COVID and everything like that. I don't know what dates are now. Um, but that happens with yeah. age as well. I still think it's 2005. Yeah, times. well, me and Dean are the same age. So uh, I wouldn't say that too loud because Dean might think it as well. <laughs> so, Dean, looks um, like, Dean looks like it's 2005. Look how young he is, everybody. Oh, you can't see it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an audio only, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, Dean's always been like that. He's always got his hair gelled, everything like that. So anyone what knows Dean, he's oh. always uh, pumping himself up. Go on, Jamie. Sorry, mate. But yeah, no, it's all good, mate. Um, I enjoy obviously like talking about it anyway. But um, really, have I opened up as a chairman and said to you, Andrew? Probably not as much. I probably opened up a few weeks ago actually, on um on one of my uh, guests who would come on the week afterwards. Um, it's Tom Mackledon. He's done massive work after his um mum passed away. Um as well from cancer, raising a lot of money for cancer and now um, mental health. He went through his struggles as well, um, self-harming and stuff like that. But I went on his podcast, um, Chat to Matt, a few weeks ago. And that's probably the first time I actually sat down and actually opened up on what it was. Um, so you know what the problem to- is with you, Jamie, and not, not a problem with you, but wait to what, what I'm going to say. When you're the person that asked the question, yeah. To other, to other people, are you okay? People yeah. just assume that you're okay because you're asking that question. Yeah. And because you, you've sort of made made this little niche area for yourself in like Insta Lives and podcasting and that, people think, oh, he must be all right because he's asking that, he's, he's talking to people about it. But that sometimes yeah. means that people don't ask you. And that's probably, yeah. that's that's wrong. Because there's, no, just, because some, just because someone's a counsellor or a therapist, Counselors and therapists might be seeing counselors and therapists themselves. They just they're just trained to be able to deal with other people's problems. They're not necessarily they're dealing with all our shit. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you know, you in 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 your own little way, in your on your podcast, you are acting as as a counselor for someone to be able to get their to get their um, feelings across. You might not be able to advise them uh, the same way. But you're dealing, you're so people just think you've got your shit together when not when that's not necessarily the case. And you know we need to we need to ask everybody, or we need to tell Definitely. everyone it's okay not to be okay, as as the uh, as the people say. Yeah, and a hundred percent. Yeah, obviously going on to it two three years ago, as I said, um, around that time before Christmas, um. It was when I was with my ex-partner. I'm now not with him. I don't really want to obviously go into that, um, but that's fine. Um, Basically, what happened was um, my dad ended up being sectioned. Um, Was at Oxley's uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth Hospital. He was there for all. Basically, what happened was uh, it was when I was first moving into the house when I was with obviously my ex um, moved into the house on that day. Um, and I always, again, it's the guilt thing of um, basically he was going to help us with some money, um, obviously towards it, what dads do, you know, that um, mm-hmm. that's what people do. Um, 
he said he was going to lend me some money, obviously, well, not lend me, but give me some money towards it. Um, and I was delivering delivering um, the stuff backwards and forwards, doing the job and that. And I had a phone call from my mum. My mum said, something's wrong. I said, what are you talking about, mum? Like, like you don't think nothing. You What are you talking about? Like, no. and that. So I said, mum, I said, what are you talking about? Like, explain what you're saying. Like, you've just said, oh, there's something up. You haven't actually explained. Like, tell me what's going on. Mm. Obviously, like, I'm busy. Like, I'm doing this. You know, you know what I'm doing today, mm. and that. Um, and then she went, oh, something's up with dad. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Do, do, do. So I was like, okay, look, like, I'll come. Like, I'll, I'll take a break. I'll come. So I literally, like, obviously drove from Ebbsfleet to Abbey Wood. And then when I got to my dad, like I walked in the house and I just thought, oh, he's going to he's lean a mood or something or whatever. You know what I mean? Or something. I just walked into the front room. And when I say I didn't know who that person was, mm. literally, I didn't know who that person was. Mm. Like he was just sat there. And when I say like, it was like that like, my word in here, I don't, want anyone obviously listening to take it the wrong way but it was like he was a zombie or a, like mm. and then stereotype at that time before thing I would turn around and say he had lost it he had like it crazy man a crazy man etc he literally sat there and he was not looking at anything his eyes had looked like he was stoned out of his head eyes out of his head looking out the window, like into the wilderness. Like I did not know who that person was. Mm. Did not know. And I was like, mum, what the fuck? Sorry for the language. But no, you, what can the swear. you can swear. What, yeah, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, and my mum was like, this has been like coming on for like two or three days. I was like, and you haven't told me what that, like what's going on? Like, why have you not, she said, and it's that old, old thing of, well, I don't want to, I didn't want to bother you. Like, I knew what you was doing and stuff like that. I just thought, oh, he's just a bit down or something, or there's something, he's just snap out of it. You know what I mean? It was one of them. Mm. But then, so I turned around and said, like, we need to ring sort of someone. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, he was just started saying, like, when I was like, Dad, what are you doing? Like this. And he was like, no, nah, it's over. It's like, I don't know what. It's over, it's over. Like, it just kept saying things what made no sense whatsoever. And obviously, like, like Dean's met my dad as well, so he would know, like, uh, like he's seen my dad and a good mate of ours, like Ashley, Dobbo, and everyone, like, in our group. Like, obviously, I lost touch with Dean for a few years now, but obviously I still see him, like, on social media and stuff like that. But he would know what my dad was like. My dad would be at any football game, any of my thing. He was outgoing, like Rob seen him as well at football and stuff like that. He he was, he would talk to anyone. It doesn't matter if you didn't know, but he, he didn't know what he was saying. Like it was mad. It like, it like, again, I'm saying these words of mad, crazy and etc. But it was like that. At that time, it was just like, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you are talking about. So in the end, I managed to switch him on a little bit and 
I rung like 111 and they put me through to like the hospitals and the people what I needed to talk to and that. They explained the situation and they said, all right, we need, need him to probably come into Queen Elizabeth, let us have a look at him, etc. But we can't do that without he say so, because obviously they hadn't assessed him or they hadn't done anything. So in their eyes, he's still signed a mine. I can't force him like to go up there. You know what I mean? I can't force him. I can't thing or anything like that. I can't force yeah. him. It's got to be his decision. Yeah. So um, basically in the end, he agreed because me and my mum, basically my mum started cracking up and crying and everything like that. So I feel like he triggered a little bit like in his head yeah. at the time. And he was like, okay, yeah, I'll go. So we ended up managing to get him up there like at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, got him up there and we was doing different tests, brain scans, all this and that for like 12 hours. And he ended up being sectioned at four o'clock in the morning. Um, so I remember that it was like the longest walk. And again, like, I'm not really opened up. Like, it's the shortest. If you know Queen Elizabeth Hospital, you know where you know where the hospi- actual hospital is to Oxys, which is next door. Like, it's literally next door. But it felt like the longest walk I have ever done in my entire life. Yeah. Like, because I knew what was going on. I knew now that he was going to go in. And don't get me wrong, I had a stereotype of that place. Like, if I was younger, like, anyone would turn around and say, oh, when you go past that, don't... Like, that's the crazy house. That's the madhouse. That's... You know what I mean? That's the stereotype. That's just a stigma of what anyone young on my age, I believed, had. You know what I mean? Because I said that. I openly have said that. Uh, And other people who were around me would have said that as well. So... For now, my dad, who was always my support, my strong person, my everything, I'm an only child, so my everything, who was always give me anything like to do with football, to do away from football, was now being sectioned. I didn't know what, what to do. I didn't know what to do. But I knew that I had to be strong because, again, being an only child, I couldn't show no emotion. I couldn't do anything like that because of my mum. You like, want to look after your mum. Yeah. And I literally, at the time of it, like, it couldn't have been the worst time. And as I said, I touched on it a little bit. As the days went on, he started opening up going, I feel like I'm bankrupt. So I feel like um, I've lost all my money. You're going to get the house repossessed. Uh, mum's going to have the rehouse possessed. Then he started saying things about, I've done this murder, I've done that murder, and all this. And when I say, I might as well talk to that brick wall, like, it literally was like talking to a brick wall. Like, I could not, couldn't say anything. What? Because he'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then two seconds later, he'd go, you're going to lose anything. I'm never going to see you again. You're going out there. You're going to go out there. The police are going to be waiting for you. Um, they're going to arrest you, everything's going to be taken away. And how much guilt that had on me, and still to this day, which I don't think I've opened up until now, if I'm being perfectly honest, 
And I, I thank you, obviously, for letting me come on and, uh, and opening up like this. Um, Don't say thank you to me for anything. Um, I feel like the, the guilt still hurts me till this day that I feel like the trigger for his being sectioned was my fault because he said he was going to help me with money. Like, and I feel like that was the trigger. Mm. Like, and I don't know. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it I wasn't. Tell you, I'll tell you something. It, it definitely won. It definitely no. won. And people just deal with things in certain ways and deal with stress. I don't know. Maybe he was... Maybe he was stressing just literally about you moving and he was actually worrying about you. And it just triggered, not not the money side of it, but just you moving may have just caused him enough stress just to, just to you know, trigger something. And, and that episode happened. And yeah, I'd tell you what, you definitely shouldn't be blaming yourself. I'm, la- I'm not laughing, but um, definitely don't blame yourself, mate. What Fucking you'll hell. find, Jay, is um, it, it won't be that one thing. You'll find there's... You know, and it's not you to blame it. You'll find there'll be a number of things over the years yeah. that have, have finally got to him. Yeah, 100%. And, it could be know, a childhood or yeah. things that happened as he grew up. That just, yeah, just I feel, yeah, I feel like, I feel like I know that now, but it's still that yeah. little guilt, you know what I mean? I still feel that guilt. You know what, that's because you want to make sense of it. So mm. we always want to make sense of something and we always want to have a reason for something happening. Sorry, I've just farted. I didn't realise. I didn't don't know it. if it came you up. Could, you Sorry. could have got away with that. You could have got away with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, we always want to, you know, we want to find a reason for something happening. And, you know, you'll find this a number of things that have gone on in his life that, have, you know, it finally comes to a head. And like I mentioned earlier, what you might find is, there will be things that have happened in his life that you will have ne- you'll never know about, or you know that he might he will never have told you about, and it may be one of them things you know that have always bothered him and a, and a number of things, and you definitely won't be to blame for that. You're his son, do you know what I mean? You're his, mm. you know, you you say you're 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 the only you're an only child, Jay. Only child, yeah. Yeah, listen, mate. You will not be the reason for what happened. I can assure you of that. Do you know what I mean? You're you'll be his, you're his boy. So yeah, that won't no. be the case. If anything, no, you would have been his yeah. strength. You know. No, no, thank that. Obviously, like, and then it was it was have just a very. Sp- deep... Have you spoken to anyone, Jamie? Have you ever physically? No, I, I feel like I feel like it was always. Uh, I'll touch on it in a second, but it was like I never had time to. I never had. The, the the will to do it or I never had the time to do it. I always put um for anyone what knows me, Rob knows me, Dean knows me, you obviously you know me, um and Nick's now getting to know me. I always focus. I always get something to focus my um, yes. attention on. So it takes it away from it. Yeah. So it would either be eleven aside football, six aside football, like with the England team or the Scotland team at the time, etc. and stuff like that. Uh, um obviously moving house uh, at the time um and then oh now obviously like as dean terman had said it, it is hard obviously because i've got a daughter and that and etc and that and then he it hit me obviously um i wasn't happy like as dean terman said he wasn't happy in a relationship and 
I, I realised that in the end as well, that I wasn't happy with the way things were going. Um, obviously, I don't want to slate anyone, you know what I mean? It's, no, I'm not doing that. Um, um, and it's, it's now, I found a person now, and I'll be open now, I've said it before, and I open that my partner now is as much as as Dean Turman has said I, I echo what he said um, I take it out on her she takes it out on me um, it's been a very hard year obviously for everyone but this year is we're going to go into lockdown obviously soon and that but it's very it's very hard this year and, and we've but she's been and I don't think and I'm, I'm being perfectly honest apart from the let us talk lives and her I don't know and that's being perfectly honest again I don't know where I'd be like and obviously the thought of my daughter and stuff like that etc and stuff like that and there's other things what have gone on um I don't really want to go into at the Mm -hmm. moment um and 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 that's kept me going um but as I said to you like Andrew I've always get I always get a focus and I always take things away from me but this past year as I said when I said I've not had anything I've not had apart from let us talk and, and obviously my girlfriend now Zoe like she they're the only things what I've had the focus on right and now it's opened my eyes up I could sit I can sit back and see what I've bottled up mm. for and, and don't get me wrong I have the days like today like I had to leave work today um, and they know obviously situations what we've been going through obviously in that and I had a very very bad day in work yesterday um, it was very 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 stressful um, and then and, and then it probably just triggered a lot of anxiety and stress for me like um, yesterday and then I went back in there today and I don't think I was over it yesterday so and then there's other things going on in the background that it brought on a lot of triggers today. And I ended up leaving work and I had to walk out and I said, look, I can't be here today. I need to go home. Like, and I was crying constantly throughout the day. Um, and and it, it was very, very hard. And it's one of them things that I have days like that, but I have to, I have to try to get my focus back. And I have to think obviously like, Next week is a. It, do you know what? It's a milestone next week. Like with the Monday, like I can go back to something what I love. Like people don't. I know we don't want to obviously talk about grassroots and stuff like that, but this. I is, mean, we can talk about it. We, I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast. And yeah, I don't want to cut. I don't want to cut you off too much, but I'm. I'm. Uh, I want to move. Let's move on to. The future, yeah. and I know you're going to do that now. So the future, what does yeah. that look like for you guys? I know I've jumped. I, I sent the, just for anyone who doesn't know. I usually send the guys out a uh, some kind of script that we or questions that we go through. I'm going to jump to the last question, mm. boys, because I'm mindful. I didn't want to cut anyone off during their story, no, because it's so important to tell. But now we've got football back, and some of us can go and play league games and. And uh, Rob can carry carry on waiting because he plays at a, at a really decent at a decent level that um, they've been told they're not starting again. I'm presuming you're going to do some kind of training, Rob. But we'll get to that in a minute. 
Um, Got me vitamin C right here, mate. Yeah, he's just going <laughs> to be on the Coronas all, all, all summer. Uh, Jamie, what does it feel like then on the back of these of this rough couple of days just to know that football is back around the corner? A hundred percent. It For me, at this present time, it's such a, uh, a gift. If I can say it's a gift, like, I think it's a gift back. Mm. But on the other hand, I feel like it's anxiety as well, if I'm being okay. perfectly honest, because as much as I'm planning, I'm trying to focus, obviously I've, um, I entered the uh, United Charity League. I've also obviously entered the National Infinity Cup as well, which is two great, unbelievable things, what yeah. what both, both people are involved in or both clubs and people involved in. Obviously, I'm very close to obviously Kai, um, uh, the People's FC, and mm. what he does obviously is amazing. And I speak to him on a daily basis as well. Um, and like it, it, I've entered now a six-a-side league um, on a Monday night at Leisure Leagues. Obviously, they're, they're the providers of the England six-a-side team as well. So um, I've I've entered that um, with uh, and the Let Us Talk. Um, and we've got a team on a Monday night playing in there. And I'm o- not overcharging, but basically what it is, obviously I'm raising money now for Mind um, uh, and sh- for showing awareness, obviously, of mental health still through that. Um, so each player will always play £10, even though it's like, I think it's only like 5 or £6 a game. But if you add that over the season, it will keep adding up. Yeah, you know cool. what I mean? It will keep adding up. And and that will all go into the pot once, obviously, and um, um, obviously the United Charity League coming up. Um, I've got games with that, um, and obviously other games as well. I'm going to line up, obviously friendlies and that. So it's going to be a busy time, hopefully, with that and and being allowed to do that, um, and hopefully keep on raising awareness. But when I touch on the anxiety of it, is because of before. Obviously, I'm with Milan Beatties on a Sunday as well, which is a YouTube team at the Hackney and Leighton League. Um, and it felt like we was back um, before this lockdown. It felt like we was sort of back into normality because everything was back, like football. And I referee small-sided games as well, goals on like a Wednesday and a Thursday as well. Um and it's a social side. Everything was back. Like it seemed like it was back, and then it was ripped away from us before, obviously, Christmas with this lockdown. Yeah. And I'm worried myself. I'm just worried that the anxiety of it that it could just get ripped away again because it's an unsure world. As much as people put roadmaps out and and all this and that, like there was regulations before, and there was this and that before, and then and then suddenly we was okay. And then suddenly it was done again and we got to go back into it again. And I will never criticise anything because obviously people have lost people um, and uh, and, uh, unfortunately that has happened. But obviously from my point of view is that football is such a massive thing for me. Like like when I say that, people go, oh, it's just a hobby. I'm like, no, it's not just a hobby. It's not. Uh, when When you've been involved in football, 
Like obviously, everyone's different ages. But when you know, I've been involved in football since I was seven years old, um, and for it, I'm so passionate about football and so passionate about what it is and what what people are involved in football. Yeah. When it's ripped away from you and you can't do it and don't know when it's going to be back or when it's going to be back, it's it's so hard to take. And I just can't, I don't know if I can do that again. Like, it's hard to think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want to be doom and gloom on this, no, no, no. but it's no, just no. In the reality of it that this is how it makes me feel. Um, I think there's a little bit that we've all got used to the way things have been, where well, I have anyway, we've all got used to the way the world is now over the last year. So the fact that everything's going to open up again, that's going to take a bit of time for people to readjust to as well. We've all been in our houses getting out as much as, as, much as you can and doing what you possibly can um, during all of this. But there's going to be times, there's going to be a bit of anxiety for a lot of people because readjusting, people are going to become, have become a little bit sort of, um, a bit of a germaphobe so they don't want to get close to people again so there's going to be sort of different anxieties around all of that and mixing I mean for me um, I trust I'm trusting the process I'm trusting I'm probably the only person uh, in the country at the minute that trusts the government and says that I think they've done a good job with the vaccines and there's nothing for us to worry about that's my particular that's my um, that's my um, that's my view on it that yeah. you know they've, they've shown to be so successful the death, the death rates are the main thing that I would look at, and then they're plummeting. Uh, they're testing more and more people every day, but the, the numbers of found cases keep going down. Um, I would be so surprised if we go back into um, another lockdown after all of this, especially when the second jabs come out, and then people are getting it done on a regular basis. It, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor. Oh, sure. I'm, not, I'm definitely not a fucking doctor, but um, yeah. I just think, you know. I, I, if one thing that I've learned since dealing with my own mental health is worry when there's something to worry about. Until until then, let's just let's just try and be as positive um, as you possibly can. Just see the, the positives that we're going to be go, able to go out on Monday afternoon yeah. or evening after work if you, if you work or you can go out in the day and you can kick a ball with yeah hundred percent your friends and the anxiety side is obvious. It's all it's going to be there for. Mm. Going, in, going, in, just thinking. How, how weird is it to go to go in a pub when you eventually can and stand at a bar? Yeah. I forgot, I've forgotten how to do it. I'll be pissed after four. <laughs> my, I'll be pissed after four pints. Oh, um, I just pissed <laughs> after four anyway. You're pissed, are you pissed now? No. <laughs> can I just can I just touch on one thing? Sorry, before well, you mate. go, and I know I'm going on, mate. But um, just from one of the messages, what obviously what I was saying, um, and I didn't really touch on it. Um, for me, the most important thing with mental illness or mental health um, is having the right person to, to, to listen to you. And uh, it was touched on a little bit like we were Dean Turman and said that he went to a couple of people and, and, and they was a bit dubious about it or, or not really understanding about it. Mm. Um, that can be the worst thing you can do for someone um, because it of. It puts them off doing it again. Yeah. It puts them off doing it because that person did, could, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it did. Like I say, I think it's a big thing. You find the right person. And I think back then when I first done it, it was 10, 12 years ago. And thankfully now we have moved forwards. People are more understanding that whole old mentality. But mm. yeah, even if you just sign that one person, then that can be enough. But they need to understand you need to trust them. 
Absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. And that that's the, what I say is that if anyone listening to this, obviously, if you're not struggling with mental health or mental illness yourself, if somebody does come to you, you might not have the answers and you might not have a thing, but just listen, and and then maybe you will know somebody who who can help, um, or put them in the right direction. But you must listen. You must not like brush it off or or be dubious about it or have that old school mentality as Dean Terman has said or I've said before of brushing it off and, and just going oh you'll be alright or man up or anything like that just please please just listen to them absolutely so boys we'll go around we'll go around each of you just as a final as a final thing now um, what sort of advice would you give people recovering from any sort of uh, traumatic experience that they may have they may have had in their life um Nick, what's your what, what's your sort of main piece of advice now? I, I think it's yeah, it, it's have the strength to ask for help. The help is out there, as everybody said. It doesn't have to be. It can be professional. It can be personal. It can be a friend. It can be a neighbour. It can be whoever. But just take that first step because, you know, we are breaking the stigma down slowly. It is breaking down um, and it, there is so much help out there. There is so much help you can tap into. Mm. It's not judgmental. It's not, you know, it, it, it's not anything that these that, that you would put you off. Um, but it's just have that strength to just, yeah, reach out for help in the first place. Fantastic. Dean? Um, yeah, obviously, aside from what the guys have said, um, I think it's about finding positive things in your life. Um, with myself, I now feel like obviously I have bad days, but my mind is constant worry. It's constantly I can't switch off. I just can't relax. Um, I'm constantly overthinking everything. And I think like you touched upon, Andrew, is trying to see the positive on things. Like if you worry about something that hasn't really even happened yet, you're worrying twice and you put yourself through that added stress. Mm. Um, so I think if you can find even if it's one thing, whether it's just walking, whether it's running, whether it's listening to your favourite songs, whether it's like taking yourself out, uh, just giving your best mate a call and just having a chat, just something that, that gives you that positive energy, touching, keeping in touch with an old friend or, or touching base with them, just something that can make that day that tiny bit better that will get you on to the next day, which hopefully then will be a lot better. Because sometimes it's just that one day you need to get through to then feel a bit happier. Exactly. Rob? Um, yeah, if you can if you can do something to help someone else, you'll probably find that you end up helping yourself as well. Because when you when you help someone and you or you give someone else advice, it's because you're talking, you're almost talking to yourself when you're in their shoes. Yeah. So, you know, you and then you'll go home later and when you're on your own, you'll think, bloody hell, I said that to them, or I gave them this advice, or I helped them with this because I wanted that help and actually I need to listen to that advice too. Yeah. So, you know, if you can do one thing a day, even just to something nice for someone else or to help someone else, then do it because you'll help yourself by doing so as well. I think. I agree. Uh, boys, that's the end of this interview. Um, I'm incredibly, incredibly humbled beyond, beyond words really that you've managed, that you've shared your stories with me. Um, I didn't, I know Jamie, I met Dean uh, last night, 
funnily enough, recording for another podcast. Um, but boys, I don't know any of you um, really. Um, I'm humbled you, you've chosen to share your stories. I'm absolutely, um, the, the bravery of Rob and, and uh, Jamie, you've both, you've both shed tears um, tonight on, on the podcast. And uh, I think it's incredibly brave of you to do so. Um, I was, you know, we've all, we've all got a, a story to share. Sometimes people don't see the person behind the social media platform or, mm. or the podcast where Jamie's asking people how they're doing, where, you know, I'm laughing and joking with people about Sunday League football on my podcast. Nick will be bollocking someone on a football pitch because that's what we do as referees. And Dean will be scoring some goals and Rob will be belting headers and, and uh, doing his Putting job. People up in the air. Yeah. People up in the air. But people don't getting, see... Getting this. red cards. <laughs> I ain't had them for a while now, you know. People we don't. ain't played for a while. No, <laughs> <laughs> I had one for six months. <laughs> longest, longest time ever. Um, but people, what I'm trying to say, people don't see the person on the football pitch. We all put our game face on a little bit, and you'll sort of try and keep keep all that side of things down. I think men are getting better at it. Women are better at it already than us. Um, they have been for for as long as I know. Um, but luckily, we're starting to break down that those barriers and talk to our mates who are blokes. You see it all the time. I did the 50 podcasts in the summer. Every single guest, 50 people without without doubt said, if someone got in contact with, with me and wanted to talk, I would talk. There's, there's, I mean, Jamie was one of those 50 people, but there's, there's three other people in this chat tonight to add to that 50 odd people. In this small community of grassroots football in Southeast London and North Kent, that's a hell of a lot of people that, that people could reach out to. So boys, this was the best show that we've done of the of this run of big interview. Hashtag stay strong. We say stay hashtag stay strong for Mike Strong. Um, our, our Nick Pitt, the founder of the Mike Strong Memorial Fund. We we keep that hashtag forever in, in, to remember Mike. Um, yeah. And boys, we we take all of your all, all of your um, family members and we take that as as say stay strong as well. That belongs to everybody who's lost someone. Um, that's for the people that we've lost and for the people that are still here dealing with it. As Nick said, that pain that someone suffers uh, at that moment, they just pass it on to, to the, the people that are still here. And, uh, you know, boys, as I say, I'm completely chuffed. We've done this as the last show. I think it was a brilliant one. It's the best one yet. I wish you all the best in your continued recoveries with all of your, with all of the um, mental health uh issues that you're gonna you're gonna continue to struggle with I, I know I certainly do after 16 years um but boys this has been this has been truly one of the best things we've done thank you very much and I wish you exactly, all the best mate. Andrew thank, thank you, you mate yeah. thank you yeah, well done. thank you cheers keep it simple get down to play today the UK's leading app for next game availability download down to play from the app store and google play This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.